Ladies, we have a question for you. What are you doing on Friday, 15th of March to Sunday, the 17th of March? I'm really hoping you can join Lorraine and I for a very special weekend getaway to rest, rejuvenate and re-energise at the beautiful Samaritz Hotel on the North Cornish coast. Yes, we are kicking off our Postcards from Midlife Events programme for 2024 with this intimate and bespoke midlife retreat. It's our first ever one, which Trish and I have put together with our friends at the luxury Cornish Hotel Samaritz. One of my favourite places to stay when I'm home in Cornwall, thanks to the beautiful wild spa and gorgeous rooms and its minutes from the beach, as well as cold water swimming experiences and friendship walks with us along the beautiful coast. You'll enjoy relaxing classes and sound bathing. You'll also be inspired by our workshops, including breath work to calm the midlife nervous system and mindful cooking with local chef Emily Scott. And you'll even take part in a special podcast recording with best-selling local author Kathy Rensenbrink talking about her book, How to Feel Better. Your stay includes all of this, as well as two nights accommodation, breakfast, lunches, and a two-course evening dinner too. To find out more and book your place, just go to samaritzhotel.co.uk forward slash offers and breaks. We really hope to see you there in March. Time for a commercial break with Ramdox Health. Chris, you know we've been talking about taking on new challenges here recently. I have come up with a brilliant idea for one. Uh, Does it involve swimming as usual? No, this time it involves spandex. I have decided I'm going to get super fit and healthy and pitch Gladiators, the midlife version, to telly bosses. They brought back the 1990s show, which our generation loved, but it's for young contestants and I fancy giving a go of 55. Another one of your mad schemes, Mm -hmm. uh, Gladiators, that is not the getting fit and healthy idea. That is something we're actually both doing right now anyway, and it's very much to be advised in midlife, isn't it? Exactly. And if I'm going to get into my Gladiator training or or any other kind of training for that matter, I think I'm going to have to double down on those regular female health checks, which brings me to Randox Health. They provide a range of comprehensive health checks for women at every life stage, designed to empower women with knowledge so they can take control of their health and make simple lifestyle changes that could prevent future illness. Well, that is a much more sensible idea than becoming a gladiator. (laughs) We've actually mentioned Randox Health before because their blood tests cover specific concerns, including menopause, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, even ovarian reserve, breast and ovarian cancer risk, and much more as well. They also provide personalised health insights to help optimise your health and catch any potential issues early with their Every Woman Full Body MOT measuring up to 150 biomarkers in your blood relating to heart, thyroid, kidney, liver, hormone, nutritional and gut health. And their repeat testing after six months helps you to track improvements and identify further areas you might need help with. Now, if you listeners want to embark on your own health journey today, then visit randoxhealth.com. We have a discount code for our listeners. It's postcards24 and gives you 10% off on their website, randoxhealth.com. Let's get you all checked out before slipping into any spandex. Lorraine, I thought I'd share a little domestic insight, a little thing that goes on in my household once a week, which I think might amuse you. Okay, hit me up. Hit me up with uh, Shay Halpin. (laughs) Well, it's bin day. You know what happens on bin day? 
Neil, the husband, springs out of bed, very, very excited. <laughs> happier than birthday. Happier than birthday, Bin Day, isn't it? Absolutely. He's like, oh, it's Bin Day. And he goes and gets all his bins, his recycling, his garden waste, his decorating waste, his all sorts of bits he's throwing out. And he puts it all out for the bin men to see how much of it they will take because he's putting more out than he really should. <laughs> and he calls it bin wins and he comes running back in once they've been and goes, I've had a bin win, oh. I've had a bin win because they've taken <laughs> some old bit of old contraption that he's had lived in the shed for the last 10 years. It's strange, isn't it, men and bins? Well, it is a bit odd, although I've got my own bin win, Trish, because you oh, know my husband, um, well, he's a bit of a hoarder, James. He doesn't like to throw anything away. Yes, the Tupperware. Yeah. So if... um. There's something he, I know he won't throw away and he might take out of the bin after I put it yeah. in. I've got a little bin down the end of our road and I pop it in there <laughs> on my way out. And that's my bin win. Have and then he doesn't check that. Although I might have to change it because one of the children told him I was doing it. So I might have to have another bin to have a bin win in somewhere else. Oh no, they betrayed you. <laughs> but bin wins, it's a thing. I'm, I'm calling it. It's a thing. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hot house, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we are experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier healthier and more harmonious second act now are you feeling okay Lorraine because I know this is a difficult time for you it is we're not going to be seeing each other for no. a little while sad <laughs> it's the last episode of season nine of postcards from midlife and I know you're going to miss our weekly chats our little laughs and silly shenanigans until we're back on air in September I mean, you do get a touch of separation anxiety, don't you, when we don't see each other for a while? It's a bit like Margot when I go away on holiday. She gets separation anxiety too. Yes, she does. But I'm not going to be coughing up hairballs on your sofa or Margot's dirty protest. Oh, yes. Like your cat. <laughs> um, I'm going to cope though, Trish, aren't I? Because I always know where you are. I've always got yes. you on the little WhatsApp. And if I need a bit of organising and planning, I can always ask um, or a bit of your... Um, Marion like passive aggressive advice because Marion's your alter ego. Yeah. I miss Marion in my daily life. <laughs> um, and I like to think of Marion as an insight into the dark parts of your, your shadowy mind there, Trish. She is. We've got a treat today for your alter ego too, the raging furious tear down the patriarchy militant. She's quite fuss at the minute, yes. <laughs> yes, which we'll tell all the listeners about in a minute. But before we get on to all the excitement of what we've got coming up in today's season finale, I think we should have a little look back. A moment of reflection, if you will. Select a few highlights from some of the brilliant guests we've met during the past few months. I'd say if there were some themes that came out of our chats with all the guests, it would probably be seeing the joy in the everyday and basically um, not giving the stuff anymore. Yes. In fact, if I was any good at maths, I would probably write an equation about the older you get as a woman, the less you care what people think. I think that might win a Nobel Prize if I could work that out. <laughs> what do you think? 
Or you could join my DGAS club, which I've now uh, got to at 55. I mean, it's okay. such a relief. It's the don't give a shit club. I mean, I properly feel like I don't don't give a shit anymore. No. I'm just not interested in drama, malarkey, no. what other people think. And it just settled upon me. But I have really enjoyed the season of the show, actually, because there, you're right, there's been a couple of themes. One of my favourites was Andy Oliver's phrase. Do you remember she said that phrase, landing? She takes time to land every now and again in the week, time for herself, sink, settle, rethink. And it went really well with what Catherine May, the writer then said to us. She said that we need to call a conference of calm, didn't she? <laughs> now again. And I love that idea of a conference of calm in this mad, busy, hectic world that we need in midlife with everything going on. So I really learned from that. I learned to land and to call myself a conference of calm every now and again. Oh, very good. Good phrases. And I think interestingly, that overlaps a bit as well with some, some other guests that we yeah. had on the show. The coach and therapist, Donna Lancaster, who described midlife as, as a pause, didn't she? Yes. She described yeah. it as a kind of point of stillness before you move on again. And that even resonated with Tree Carr, our midlife witch. I loved the her. The very first witch we've ever had on this show. And she was kind of very much coming at that sort of um, mindset and philosophy as well, but from a more kind of, I suppose, spiritual, esoteric kind of point of view. But she's also a death doula. And I'm, I think she actually might have helped you with your fear. Or did she? You said she did, but how are you feeling about it now? <laughs> she did. I mean, I did have a few sort of nightmares about that moment when she said, you really have to sit down and meditate on what your last few moments alive might feel like. That didn't tip me slightly over the edge. But actually, I did realize we have to talk about it more because, it, again, like all the stuff in midlife, it ambushes us. We haven't given it any thought. And many cultures give it a lot of thought. And it's very important. It's seen as part of the journey, isn't it? So I did learn and it did comfort me slightly. And also, I tell you, the other person who comforted me around this was the amazing mm. hero Brown who oh, set yes. up Muddy Stilettos, who talked about her husband uh, dying. And it was very unexpected. It was very sudden. And just seeing her and that strength of women have when they're grieving and how they look after everybody else, but also what she said is learning to ask for help, which was another really big theme of the show, wasn't it, this season? Yes. Learning to ask for help. And and kind of understanding that she was now at a different part of her life and she still mm. had a life, but it was a different life. And she wanted to think about how that life was now going to be. So but we did get practical as well as philosophical and spiritual, didn't we? Because we had some great advice. Actually, that episode that Hero was in was all about career transitions and midlife careers, because obviously she set up her brilliant website, Muddy Stilettos, which has been a huge success. And we also had the career coach, Rachel Schofield, giving her advice. And of course, that all tied in with postcards from Midlife Live. Oh, yes, I forgot we did that. Yeah, I forgot we did that this season. I think I might have put it to the back of my mind because it was... So stressful, but so wonderful at the same time. So wonderful. And one of the brilliant things at it was our careers lounge um, in partnership with uh, Phoenix. So we had all brilliant, brilliant speakers. And actually, this whole campaign and talk around midlife career transitions, how do we change careers? How do we get back into careers? How do we take a step back? How do we rethink? That is going to be something that we're going to be continuing to focus on in the autumn series uh, as well. So do listen out for that because we do appreciate it's a big thing for women at this life stage and it can be confusing, but there's a lot of resources out there. And the first one to check out is careerscanchallenge.co.uk, 
which is a campaign Lorraine and I are part of, along with a lot of the organisations and speakers who were at Postcards from Midlife Live. And we're going to be bringing you a bonus episode, aren't we? Uh, oh, yes. The best of Postcards from Midlife Live. So there'll be loads of tips and we'll talk about the career stuff and health and everything in that episode. Oh. Um, I think that's next week. And we also had a lot of inspiring travel chat because we collaborated with Saw Days Travel um, and they set up a travel hub, uh, which you can find on their website. It's midlife-travel with loads of tips and advice because we did a little survey with our yes. um, listeners, didn't we? And do you know what? A lot of them were going on solo holidays and having travel adventures, yes. which again is, is another thing we... We are hearing more and more, isn't it? Yeah. Women taking time out because they can. They've got less responsibility at home and going off and having those trips. There was a great solo travel Facebook post this week, which is brilliant. Helen posted stunning pictures and she said, well, I'm midway through my first ever solo holiday. I'm kayaking in the Scottish Highlands. Well, that sounds a bit cold, Trish, doesn't it? <laughs> you like cold, cold, being on the water and being cold. Yes, lovely. I do like cold, yes, but kayaking cold, I don't know. Anyway, she says, I was really nervous before I set off, but I'm having the best time. The group are lovely. I'm quite enjoying just having to look after myself and looking forward to the next trip. That's what you're doing, isn't it, Trish? You've got a little solo oh. niggle in your mind there, solo travel. I think it is that thing of just looking after yourself. Yeah change and not having to think about anybody else because I can't really think of the last time I did that you know I was yesterday having a bit of a oh god I've got to do this for my dad and I've got to do that for the kids and I've got to do that with Neil I've got to sort this out and I just I don't know it just all gets a little bit much sometimes so maybe some solo what about me did I figure in that because I like to go traveling with you yes, I, know, I like all your to witness all your little habits and needs on our travel trips yes I know you do don't you and I do enjoy those <laughs> I do but I'm just saying if I go on my own don't get upset about it I know what you're like you don't have to bother about me getting lost and the date wrong and the time wrong and all of that well, let's get back to today's episode because we have a fabulous guest, Jessie Inchorsby, a.k.a. the Glucose Goddess. Now, it's a bit of a shocker, this one. She's only in her 30s. Uh, we normally have midlife guests on. But this French biochemist is changing the lives of midlife women, well, actually women and men of all ages, really, with her healthy eating movement, which we've actually both been trying and loving. It's so easy to do and makes so much sense, doesn't it? Actually changed my life, Trish. Give me a lot more energy. It's about yeah. the way you eat things, a bit of vinegar information and the order in which you eat things. Um, it's just so, so easy. The, the recipes are really easy as well and it will stop cravings, reduce inflammation and help sleep. I mean, you may lose weight, but that's kind of a side effect. But we're going to find out exactly how shortly. And then in How to Win at Midlife, we're going to be tackling something that's been really playing on both our minds recently, actually. We're very proud because we're part of Gen X. We're breaking taboos, glass ceilings, all of that, and hopefully paving the way for our teenage daughters and other young women to have better life opportunities, maybe empowering them to have more information about their bodies and their health and what's coming up so they're not ambushed by any of it. But there is one thing that you and I have been discussing, haven't we? Mm. And it's still yep. rife and it still bothers us. And we really feel we need to do something about it because we do both have sons as well. Sexism. Still there. I mean, the girls still being catcalled in the street, harassed at school, sent inappropriate pictures of male anatomy. And it's still in the news for women of our generation, too, because Daisy um, Goodwin, uh, the author, has just come forward to talk about something that happened to her 
the man, uh, she says, who grabbed her breast. So we're reading about our generation still going through it, still traumatized and triggered by it. And we're looking at our daughters and our sons, aren't we, thinking, how can we help them deal with this? Yeah. I mean, only this week we've had this Italian judge, haven't we, saying yes. that groping is only uh, only counts as sexual assault if it if it's 10 seconds i mean thankfully in a way that's sort of triggering so much backlash and so much response that it's um you know hopefully bringing it up the agenda but oh my god if those attitudes still exist i mean we've made great strides in society with you know dealing with some of the bigger more overt examples there are laws out there etc but there are so many microaggressions that women and girls are dealing with day in, day out. And we just felt that it's something we absolutely should be talking about and arming ourselves and our daughters on how to deal with it. So I've been speaking to the author, Tony Summers-Hargis, uh, who's written the book, How to Stand Up to Sexism. And we'll be sharing some of her advice on that later on. Indeed, we will. Um, we'd also like to keep hearing from you while we are off air for this summer. Um, we're going to be active on the Facebook group the whole time. And obviously, I'll be all over Instagram because that's basically where I live. Um, we'd love to hear from you on email too, actually, because we're going to be doing one of our uh, special Agony Aunt episodes well. in the autumn. We're probably the only midlife Agony Aunt duo in the UK, Trish, aren't we? Putting all our Yes. Well, well-earned knowledge or magazine editing and all the experts we've interviewed to you. So could you, if you have a dilemma to solve, it could be about your relationship, it could be about your mind, your body, uh, parenting, health, any of those things. If you've got a dilemma that you want to send to us anonymously and don't want to pop on the Facebook group, can you email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com? Trish and I are the only people that see these emails. Uh, we are the people who monitor them and it'd be good to answer your questions because we often get the similar ones coming up. And we're also going to be beavering away, getting new guests and experts lined up for September's uh, start to postcards from midlife. Yes, we, in fact, last week, I think we let the cat out of the bag, not Margot, not literally, but we've got the writer Raina Wynne coming on. We are beyond excited that there's a film version being made of her book, The Salt Path, and Gillian Anderson is playing Raina and Jason Isaacs is playing her husband, Moth. I mean, how amazing is that? Who would play you and James, do you think, in a film of your wife's Lorraine? I only married James because uh, he looks like Keanu Reeves if you sort of squint and step back a bit. So apart from the deep love. And I said to him, who would play me? And he sort of paused. I wanted him to say someone great. He did actually, but I don't consider myself this person at all. He said, Reese Witherspoon. I don't feel I'm Reese Witherspoon. I don't know. You've got a little blonde hair and you read a lot of books. Maybe that's it. Is that Personally, it? I would say The Rock. <laughs> for him? For him, Dwayne, and Jennifer Coolidge for me. I mean, that is a pairing I want to see on TV, isn't it? Oh, that's a dynamite combo. Yes. Dynamite combo. You're absolutely right there, Trisha. Yes. What about you and Neil? He would pay you too. Well, I would say, well, I would have gone Julian Anderson, obviously, number one choice, but I can't have her because she's doing Raina. So I'm going to go for Anna Maxwell-Martin because oh, I think she does the funny and the silly very well, as in Motherland. Yeah. But she does the Marion passive-aggressive. She does the judgy. She does the serious. She does the line of duty. I think she's got it all. And um, Neil has been likened in the past, I may have mentioned this before, to Richard Bryars or Harrison Ford, actually. Oh, Harrison, maybe. But he's just done, you know, Indiana Jones again. So maybe, 
Hello, Maxwell Martin and Harrison Ford. That would be quite And I've got The Rock and Jennifer Coolidge. Brilliant. That's a big old hot mess all around, isn't it? It's wonderful. (laughs) Now, I think we can't end the series without a quick brain fog looper, can we? And this is a classic from Adrienne who says, she posted this on the group, I'm sure this is a common one, but where did I mislay those kitchen scissors? I went up the garden to pick some veg. I came back with the veg all of five minutes later, but not the scissors. And they are large and brightly coloured. Several searches had still not solved the mystery. I mean, I buy large, brightly coloured scissors because I keep losing them. And I think, well, you know, they'll get spotted, won't they? But no, they disappear forever, don't they? Um, Zoe had some advice for Adrian. She said, they're either in the compost bin with the offcuts, in the fridge with the veg, washing machine, handbag, cupboard downstairs... In the loo, no need to thank me. Just tell me where my scissors are, please. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. But uh, maybe she'll find them by the time we're back for season 10. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today's guest is possibly going to blow your mind with her science-based health hacks, which she says prevent wrinkles, ease symptoms of perimenopause, improve fertility, help you lose weight if you want to, improve your mood, boost energy and banish sweet cravings. Indeed, she's already winning me off my daily hobnob biscuit addiction. French biochemist, best-selling author and Instagram sensation, she's got 2.4 million followers, Jessie and Chulsby will be chatting to us about why the order in which we eat our food makes a difference, the power of vinegar, which you know already, Trish, and how it is the way our bodies deal with glucose spikes that may be at the root of many of the health issues we face as we age. Jessie, 31, says the foundation of all hormone health is steady, balanced blood sugar levels, something studies show the majority of us struggle to maintain. She calls herself a science educator and studied biochemistry in the US before working in Silicon Valley researching genetics. Her fascination with the glucose roller coaster as she calls it, began at 19 when a dramatic accident severely affected her mental health, and she says she no longer wanted to live. Her first book, Glucose Revolution, was a number one bestseller internationally, and her new book, The Glucose Goddess Method, your four-week guide to cutting cravings, getting your energy back and feeling amazing, has been called a must for anyone who wants to improve their health by Professor Tim Spector. We know he knows his stuff because he's been on our podcast twice, and we know you all love him. So it's time to meet the woman who says it's time to get the maximum pleasure from sugar so that it has the minimum effect on your health. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Jessie. Hi. Now, firstly, congratulations on the book because it's got recipes in that I can do, which 
it's brilliant because I'm a terrible cook. Um, but it also it really makes sense at this midlife stage of life when uh, you know a few small tweaks can make quite a big difference uh, for women. Let's start from the beginning with you. You were 19 on holiday with friends when you jumped off top of a waterfall and you shattered your vertebrae. Now, you've talked about how you coped with it physically and you, you managed your physical rehab. You really struggled with your mental health and you kind of went into severe depression and had anxiety after the accident, didn't you? It wasn't until you linked your diet to your mood that you realized something very powerful about glucose. So after my accident, I started developing a lot of issues, depression, anxiety, dissociation. I could never be alone. My brain just felt completely broken and I was lost. You know, I didn't understand my body. I didn't understand what I needed to do to feel better. It was a really dark phase of my life. So I went on a quest to try to find my health again, to try to heal myself. So I studied biochemistry, then I worked in genetics for a long time, and nothing really helped me until I had the random opportunity to wear a continuous glucose monitor. And these are little devices that you wear on the back of your arm that are made for people with diabetes. And this device showed me in real time my blood sugar levels on my phone. And what blew my mind is that I was able to see that the days where my glucose levels were more unsteady so when they were looking sort of like a roller coaster, my mental health was worse. And the days where my glucose levels were quite steady, like nice rolling hills, my mental health was much, much better. This realization happened, you know, 10 years after my accident. So I had been in the dark for so long with no clues, nothing to help and guide me. And this to me was a true revelation because I realized, oh, Maybe my glucose levels, my blood sugar levels are going to be part of the solution to start to feel better. Maybe the way I'm eating, which is affecting my glucose levels, is actually going to help me heal. So that was the beginning of the, of the healing journey for me. It was, it was very, very powerful. We talk about glucose, we talk about blood sugar, but I don't think we really understand what it does in our bodies. Do you want to just give us an explanation of, of what the spikes mean and how the roller coaster um, happens and what it does? So glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. And every single cell in your body uses glucose for energy. From your brain cells to your heart cells to your feet cells, all of your body loves and needs glucose. And as human beings, the main way that we give this glucose to our body is by eating food. Specifically by eating starchy foods like pasta, rice, potatoes, and sweet foods. So anything from an apple to a chocolate dessert. And now you might think, okay, if you want, you know, maximum amounts of energy, you should just eat as many starchy and sweet foods as possible. It would make logical sense, but actually that's where the logic breaks down. So I like to take the example of a plant. If you have a plant at home, you know that you need to give the plant some water for it to survive. But if you give the plant too much water, then it drowns. And the human body is sort of similar. If you give your body too much glucose too quickly, problems start happening. And there's this notion of a glucose spike. So a glucose spike simply means that during a meal, you've given too much glucose too quickly to your body. And it looks like a spike on your glucose monitor because the amount of glucose in your blood increases very quickly and then it falls. And these spikes carry with them consequences from cravings to chronic fatigue, you know, premature aging to diabetes to difficult menopause symptoms. And so these spikes are really what we want to try to flatten and avoid 
so we can feel better today and also help our health long term. But we all have a different reaction, don't we? I mean, that's the the big learning, isn't it? That our glucose, Trish and I have worn the glucose monitor. We had uh, different reactions to the amount of glucose we put it with vegetarians, but we had very similar diets, but we had a very different reaction. Why do we have different ability to control our blood sugar? Of course, if both of you ate the same foods, you would see a different spike on your glucose wonder. It would look different. However, the main concepts that I share from the science, the main principles, the main hacks, they apply to all of us. So it's not like for one person, pasta is going to increase your glucose levels and for another person, it's not going to. They are very important basic principles that we can all implement into our lives to reduce our glucose spikes. Now, of course, if you compare two people's glucose spikes, you might see small differences because of age, of muscle mass, hydration, how tired you are, you know, but the main big principles still stand. And that's important. And the book, your new book, which we are both loving, The Glucose Goddess Method. One of the great things about it as well as, as, as talking you through the program is that you surveyed 2,700 people between 20 to 70 years old. And you got these amazing results on 90% were less hungry, 89% reduced craving, 77% had more energy. I mean, we're feeling all of this as we're doing it too, I have to say. But it's not a diet, is it? That's what's really refreshing about it. It's, um, there's no calorie counting. It's kind of quite simple to follow. Do you want to talk about that? I'm very passionate about this new approach and this new philosophy because fuck diets. Sorry, but it's true. We have to just like move on. So what I did with this book is that I took the biggest scientific discoveries that have been made in the past five to 10 years in the world of glucose, and I've condensed them into four simple principles. Savory breakfast, veggie starter, vinegar, and movement, and we can go into the math works. And so it's a four-week program during which you add one of these principles one by one, week by week. You don't have to count calories. You don't have to cut out any of the foods you love. Just by adding these principles like gentle giants into your lives, well, your glucose levels start steadying and you feel better. And why do we see such incredible results? Because most of us experience these glucose spikes on a daily basis without knowing it. It's not just for people with diabetes. It's for everyone. And that has been really, I think, my contribution to this field is to really remind people that everybody should care about glucose levels because it affects us in so many different ways, starting from mental health, which is what I was suffering from and was able to start healing, to hormones, to sleep, to actually personality, to mood, to skin, to inflammation. So yes, this four-week method is very powerful, very easy, and you start seeing results incredibly quickly. You mentioned hormones there. Most of our listeners are over 40. They're in midlife. They might be going into the perimenopause. They might be coming out of the menopause. Now, you're saying the glucose spikes are affected or linked to hormones and activity of hormones. What is happening with glucose and hormones in midlife, particularly around menopause and perimenopause? So your hormonal system is very tightly linked to your glucose levels. If your glucose levels are out of whack, if you're on a glucose roller coaster, spiking and crashing, spiking and crashing, your hormonal system is going to take a hit. Whatever period of life you're in, your hormones are not going to be functioning properly. So if you're in reproductive years, you might start seeing infertility come up. You might start seeing missed periods, polycystic ovarian syndrome, acne. If you're in the menopause, you might start seeing very intense symptoms. 
So more hot flushes, more insomnia, more difficulty in men and women alike. So your glucose levels, having those be nice and stable, nice and steady is without a doubt the foundation to your hormonal health. Your hormones cannot function properly if you are on a glucose roller coaster. And that's why I see so many of my readers, once they study their glucose levels, whatever the hormonal issue was, it gets better. And it's really cool because you were mentioning earlier, you know, is it all uh, personalized? Do we all respond differently? Well, yes and no, because when we apply these principles, our hormonal system in our body gets back into balance wherever we were on the spectrum of balance in the first place. And you mentioned testosterone in the book. How is testosterone affected by blood sugar spikes? If you are on a glucose roller coaster and you have chronically elevated glucose levels, your body's not going to be able to make necessary amounts of testosterone. So very directly, you see glucose levels impacting hormone production. So if you're suffering from low testosterone, it is foundational. It is key to get your glucose levels steady so that your body can naturally get back to doing what it does best. I like to think about these symptoms, for example, low testosterone, as a message coming from your body, right? It's not necessarily something you need to suppress or medicate. Maybe it's actually just a signal that something else is happening, you know, behind the scenes that needs to be addressed. And I like to think of these symptoms as messages. I think once we switch our approach and we realize it might be our body speaking to us, we have so much more power and we get our agency back. In conclusion, glucose levels, if you steady them, testosterone levels will go up. And what about for um, menopause and, and the fluctuation in estrogen and progesterone? Have you done any research in that area and the, the, exper- you know, the experience or the impact of glucose on that? Both Lorraine and I are on HRT, uh, steady glucose. How does that affect that period of your life? So what we know from the scientific studies is that the more glucose spikes you have, the more you're going to get symptoms of hormonal dysregulation during the menopause. The steadier your glucose levels are, the more your body is going to be able to go through that phase with less of an earthquake. So I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really have any particular opinions about HRT. But in order to help yourself go through this moment of life with as much ease as possible, steadying your glucose levels is going to be a foundational piece. And I will repeat this, but it's really important to think about this because most of us have glucose spikes. And most of us are suffering the consequences without even knowing. And I have many readers who are in midlife or approaching perimenopause and menopause. And studying their glucose level is really transformative for their sleep, for their mood, for their hot flushes, for just how they feel on a day-to-day basis. And I guess, uh, you know, we're all parents of teenagers as well, because you talked to, in one of your services, you said that when women started following your glucose regulation way of eating, they hadn't been having periods and they started having periods. So it's closely linked to your menstrual cycle as well. So it's good to know that for our teenagers, isn't it? Because they are eating all sorts of stuff, aren't they, frankly? Absolutely. And there's more and more instances of polycystic ovarian syndrome happening. It's very, very, very common. And often when you have PCOS, you have symptoms such as missed periods, acne, balding on the head, hair growth on the chin. And often that is treated by giving a young female the pill because the pill contains female hormones. What's actually going on on the inside is really interesting. So if you have PCOS, generally what's actually happening is that you have too much testosterone in a female body. So we have the opposite problem in early life. And this excess testosterone creates all of those symptoms. The mysterious cystic ovaries, the balding, the hair growth, etc. Why is there too much testosterone? 
again, because in a young female body, if you have a lot of glucose spikes, you're going to have a lot of insulin levels. And too much insulin tells your ovaries to create excess testosterone. And during that period of life, it's going to cause all of these issues. So how do we get that testosterone level down? It's a balancing act, right? Sometimes we want more testosterone, sometimes we want less. We just want to find the right proper balance that helps our body thrive. Again, flattening their, their glucose levels will get those insulin levels down, will reduce the amount of excess testosterone in the body. So no matter how old you are, balancing your glucose level is really key. And it's easy, right? It's not a diet. We're not counting calories. These are actually common sense principles that we now understand from a scientific perspective. But it's really, it's really easy stuff and it's life-changing. And just before we go into the actual method and the four principles that you're going to talk us through, what is the connection with the brain? We've talked about the impact on hormones of glucose, but what's going on with the brain? Why are we in a better mood if we have steadier glucose? Well, it's a complex relationship between your glucose levels and your brain. So your brain loves glucose. It runs on glucose. It's the organ in your body that uses the most glucose. And so the cells in your brain also feel these glucose fluctuations and these glucose spikes. And it affects us on so many different levels. First of all, mental health. The more glucose spikes you have, the more symptoms you'll get of anxiety or depression if that's something you already have in your life. But also, studies are showing that the more glucose spikes you have, the more irritable you will be, especially with your partner. There's this incredible study. Researchers took married couples and they gave each person in the couple a voodoo doll representing their spouse. And they asked the participants to put a pin in the voodoo doll every time their husband or their wife uh, was irritating them. And at the end of the study, they took the voodoo doll away, they counted the pins, and they looked at the participants' glucose levels. And they saw that those that had the most fluctuating glucose levels had put the most pins in the voodoo doll representing their spouse. And you see this on so many different levels. You see that you're more easily vindictive against people around you if your glucose levels are fluctuating. We've all experienced the being hangry, New science also showing us that glucose spikes lead to brain fog because they slow down the speed of the signals between your neurons. Anyway, it is just a fascinating field. Yeah. So for me, to give you my personal experience, what started happening when I balanced my glucose levels, anxiety went down, depression went down. I felt more sheer-headed. I felt more grounded in my body because that was something I was struggling with for many, many years. And I felt like a nicer person. I get many messages from parents who tell me that now that they've incorporated their glucose hacks, they're able to be more zen with their kids. So it helps you on so many different levels. It helps you be more yourself, I think. And that's, that's important, you know, to be able to be the best version of yourself, the person you want to be, not somebody who's irritated and hangry all the time. Right. Okay. So it has had a quite a dramatic effect on me, I would say. The eating the yeah, way this amazing. way, yeah. And it for three weeks, much more level, don't have that three o'clock starving. Thing. Yes. So I'm very pleased. So I think it's time for you to give us the very basics of the glucose method. Take us briefly through the four week plan, um, focusing really on how it, midlife women, I think is, you know, uh, and how we can still have sugar in our lives. You're not saying ban sugar, so I think it's worth making that point. And also probably worth mentioning alcohol at some point because obviously we're Gen X, we love our wine, we're rotary addicts. So take us Let's through the plan. Tell us what our listeners can do. Okay, so week one, we start with breakfast. 
Now, many of us in the morning will reach for something starchy or sweet, maybe some jam on toast, maybe some granola, maybe some muesli, maybe your fruit juice. And the reason we love sugar in the morning is because sugar releases dopamine in the brain. It gives us pleasure. So if we feel a little bit crap, while we wake up, we have some sugar, we, we feel a bit perked up for a little while. It helps us start the day with a bit of a boost of dopamine. Unfortunately, dopamine and energy are not the same. So a sweet breakfast will give you dopamine, it will give you pleasure, but on the inside, it's going to harm your body's ability to make energy. It's going to harm your mitochondria in your cells. They're going to go on strike. They're not going to be able to make energy effectively anymore. And then if you have a sweet breakfast, you're kicking off a big glucose roller coaster for a whole day. So a cycle of cravings, of feeling fatigued, of feeling addicted to sugar. So week one, we fix this because breakfast is very important to fix in your glucose journey. We go for a savory breakfast. So this means a breakfast that's built around protein, healthy fats, some starch for taste if you want, but nothing sweet, except some whole fruits for taste if you'd like to have some. And this can be, you know, you can have some leftovers from, from dinner. You can have nice Greek yogurt with some nuts and some berries. You can have an omelette. You can have a chickpea stew. I have lots of wonderful recipes. And breakfast really transforms how you feel, especially if you're somebody who's been struggling with cravings for a long time and fatigue throughout the day. Fixing your breakfast glucose spike, it's incredible. It's the most powerful place to start. And that's where we start with it in week one. Just you have to have breakfast, right? You don't skip breakfast. You don't have to have breakfast, but the first meal of the day needs to be savory, regardless of what time it is, whether it's at 8 a.m. or 2 p.m., the same concept applies. Because if you have sugar on an empty stomach, it's going to create a really big spike. So you want to start the day with savory. And tell us about the order in which you eat, because that's the next thing. Oh, yes. So that's week three, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump back to week three in one second. So in week two, we incorporate vinegar. Vinegar is very cool and very powerful in our glucose journey. So one tablespoon of vinegar before a starchy or a sweet meal can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 30%. So it's one of those fun little magic bullet hacks. And in week two, we start incorporating that into our lives. So once a day, we have a tablespoon of vinegar. It can be any type of vinegar. And I have lots of different ways of having it in teas and mocktails. We make pickles and we make salad dressings. So vinegar is a week two. And then week three, as you were mentioning, we start harnessing the power of food order. So the science here is really remarkable. It shows us that if we start our meal with vegetables and we finish with the carbs instead of like rushing to the carbs first, we can reduce the glucose spike of our meal by up to 75% without changing how much we're eating. It's really, really cool. So you can still eat all the stuff you love, the same meal as usual, but by placing the veggies first, you're helping your glucose level steady. You're avoiding that crash. You're avoiding those cravings two hours afterwards. You're reducing inflammation. You're reducing hormonal imbalances. Super powerful. And actually, you see this, you know, across Europe, this tradition of having vegetables first, whether in Italy with antipasti, in France with crudité, in the Middle East with herbs at the beginning of a meal. We've known this stuff for a while, and now we're understanding scientifically why it makes sense. So that's week three. I have a lots of veggie starter recipes to help us harness the power of fiber. And the way it works is that in vegetables, there's this substance called fiber. And when we have it at the beginning of a meal, it has time to create a sort of protective mesh 
in our intestine that then reduces how many glucose molecules make their way through to our bloodstream, reducing the spike. Amazing, isn't it? And how does it stop cravings? So you're, what you're saying is you won't crave anything because this mesh is stopping the spike so you can stay at a more constant level. But you can put add sugar in, can't you? I can still have, still have my chocolate and a glass of wine, can't I? Absolutely, yes. You can have the dessert, you can have the wine, everything you love. The reason it's reducing cravings is because when we reduce the glucose roller coaster, we no longer have these crashes. And these crashes, they activate the craving center in our brain. So the question is, how do we have the chocolate that we love without then two hours later kicking off an addiction roller coaster, right? We want to get maximum pleasure from the things we love without starting that cycle where we just need to find something sweet and we're in the street and we go to the store and we just grab anything. I want all of us to be fully in, in pleasure mode when we eat our desserts and our chocolate, not be controlled by difficult impulses that make us eat whatever is sweet around us. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Just before we get on to the four, Jesse, can I just ask you, is it possible to have too little glucose? Well, technically, no, because even if you didn't eat any glucose, your body will, would still make it from within. All animals run on glucose. But for example, I don't know, cats and dogs, they don't eat sugars and starches. And all and their bodies actually make glucose from within. So we're the same. If we don't eat any carbs, any sugars, any starches, our body will make the glucose we need from within. However, you might have heard people say, I have low blood sugar. And that doesn't actually mean they're not eating enough glucose. It's actually a symptom of being on a glucose roller coaster. So it's a symptom of having big spikes because each big spike creates a crash. And these crashes can be felt as nausea, sweat, being really hangry, having low blood sugar, but that's transient. It's not something they're born with. It's just a, a symptom of the roller coaster that goes away once you steady things. Okay. Take us to week four. Okay, week four. So week four, we recruit wonderful allies, our muscles. So our muscles, like every other part of our body, uses glu use glucose for energy. And we can use this to our advantage. So in week four, after one meal a day, we use our muscles for 10 minutes. So maybe we go for a walk. Maybe we put away the laundry. Maybe we clean our kitchen. Maybe we go dance in our living room to our two favorite songs. She does that. She actually does that. Yeah, she does dancing on her own. So, birthday. It's my favorite way to do this this hack. And another easy thing you can do is if you're at the office or at a desk or at a table and you can't get up and move, you can just do some calf push-ups on the ground. So you just push up onto your toes, up and down, up and down. Yeah, you're both doing it now. And you just do this for 10 minutes, set a little timer. And your calf muscles actually contain a very powerful muscle called your soleus muscle, which is very good at soaking up glucose from the bloodstream. So when we use our muscles after a meal, some of the glucose from that meal will be used for energy by our muscles instead of creating a big glucose spike in our body. And so this is week four. And so by the end of week four, you're doing savory breakfast, vinegar once a day, veggie starter once a day, and 10 minutes of movement once a day. And at this point, you've taken the on-ramp to the freeway of steady glucose levels and you're feeling so, so, so much better without restriction, while still eating all the chocolate and the wine that you want. And I hope everybody gets to experience this because it's really, it's really life-changing. What about glucose and the aging process and the impact on aging? You know, everything from 
you know, wrinkles the skin. I mean, we, we've heard before about the connection between sugar and skin, and, you know, poor skin and wrinkles and things. What's going on in aging and how will levelling our glucose help us? Is it causing my rosacea? That's what I want to know. Rosacea is <laughs> probably inflammation-based, right? So the more glucose spikes you have, the more inflammation you have in your diet, in your body, sorry. And so if you have any inflammatory conditions like rosacea, psoriasis, eczema, acne, it could make it worse. So aging. Okay, so from the moment you're born as a human, you slowly cook like a chicken in the oven. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. On the inside, we're slowly cooking. We're slowly browning. <laughs> it's a process called glycation. Glycation is aging. So we slowly age. And then when we're fully cooked, we're fully glycated, we die, essentially. We can't do anything about it. We can't stop it. But we can slow it down or speed it up. And the more glucose spikes we have, you'll notice glucose and glycation sort of sound the same. It's because... More glucose leads to faster and more glycation. More glucose spikes leads to faster aging. And this shows on our skin as wrinkles and also internally our organs age more quickly when we have more glucose spikes going on. So if you want to slow down aging, reduce those glucose spikes. So it all, so this all feels like new knowledge, but it's Real. not new knowledge, is it? I mean, we've been talking about the guts in the last three or four years, which is linked to the glucose as well, isn't it? But you have talked you talked before about these some of these things that you're talking about are actually ancient rituals. But they go all of these things, but we just seem to have not taken any notice of them. What why didn't we take any notice? Because it's fairly obvious when you explain it as a scientist. It is, but I think, you know, over the past sixty to a hundred years, there's been so much money pumped into the food system, so much marketing, so many things going on, so many confusing messages, so many things that we think are now true actually come from big marketing campaigns like breakfast is the most important meal of the day we've been confused by a lot of money in the food industry the food landscape now is trying to trick us on a daily basis to buy this product buy that product and we've lost touch with these very simple beautiful pieces of cultural wisdom and i think it's important for us to get back to them because it is common sense vinegar has been around for so long veggie starters to moving after eating. I mean, that's just the most common thing ever. Having a savory breakfast. We all used to have savory breakfast before breakfast cereal and orange juice was invented. So time to bring them back. It's time to break free from all of the food marketing around us and to notice that these cultural traditions now have a very clear scientific reason for them. And so by marrying those two things, ancient wisdom, modern science, we can then create these habits for life. And that's what I help people do. And it's been such a success. It's been, you've now got such a huge following your, on your second book. I mean, were you, were you a bit like Eureka? Did you kind of realize that it was going to be so successful and so popular, the work that you're doing? No, but in a way, I think this idea picked me. I think this idea of taking glucose science to the general public and making it accessible and fun and approachable. And I think the idea picked me. I think I had a conversation with the universe one day and I just this idea just really gave me so much energy when I was sitting on my couch and I realized the science is there. Nobody's talking about it. I want to take it to the world. I made a sort of pact with the idea, you know, and I got a lot of help along the way, a lot of synchronicities, a lot of amazing stuff helped me and also a lot of work, a lot of work. But we make a good team, the idea and I. 
my greatest honor and joy to be able to to do this as my job and to share this science, which really, really transforms people's health. And ultimately, my objective is to have a real impact on public health. You know, I don't see myself as like a wellness influencer or I really want to be able to say in 20 years that, you know, we've had a significant impact on diabetes rates worldwide, fertility rates worldwide. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to get into. So I don't have a good answer to that question. I just have some some of these experiences and some of these thoughts, but maybe in 10 years I'll have a clear answer. No, that's a great yeah. answer. Oh, I think the best that... answer I've heard to many questions. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. You ask the universe and you, just, you sort it out and do it together. <laughs> You've included lots of uh, case histories in your book, lots of mm-hmm. testimonies from people who tried um, the glucose method. Could you share with us perhaps a story of a woman that our, our listeners would, would recognize whose life changed quite dramatically when she decided to do this four-week plan to eat in this way. Yeah, absolutely. The one that comes to mind is Bernadette. So Bernadette is in her early 50s. And before she started any of this Hugo stuff, she would get so tired throughout the day that at 3 p.m. she'd be at the bank and she'd look at the floor and just say, oh, wow, I could have a wonderful nap right here on the floor of the bank. Really bad insomnia, intense symptoms all around, a lot of sugar addiction. And by applying these principles, the first night after starting the method, she slept for seven hours, which hadn't happened in years and years and years. And as she went through the process, she realized her cravings started to dissipate. So she'd be at the grocery store and no longer feel compelled to buy a chocolate bar at checkout. She'd now go to the bank and not think she would wanted to have an amazing nap right there. So it's these small changes that might sound like nothing, but for somebody who is experiencing these frustrations and these difficulties, it is completely life-changing. And I mean, I have hundreds of these stories, you know, and in my book, I, I put a lot of testimonials because to me, this is work that is for the community, by the community. We're all in this big boat together, just trying to feel better. It's not me in an ivory tower writing my book and just throwing it off you know, across the wall. It's really something that we've built together. And that's why I ran this big survey on 2,000 people for the second book. And that's why I'm so close to my community every day on social media, gathering their feedback, improving the way I'm teaching. And it's a common project. And what's coming next? What's the next big thing you found out? Tell us, reveal all. Something I'm very interested in is mental health, obviously, because that's something that I, you know, was struggling with for a very long time. So I'm very interested in the connection between food and the brain and all of these things I mentioned above, you know, brain fog, irritability, anxiety, depression. And I want to dig more into that space. And I also want to dig more into the space of kids because I get a lot of questions about how food is affecting the bodies and the brains of children. And I haven't done enough research on that topic yet. So I think those are the two next big chapters for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's so helpful and so useful. And the book is just amazing. And the method is amazing. We're both fans of it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jesse. Thank you so much to both of you for this wonderful chat. This week's How to Win at Midlife comes with a trigger warning because we're going to be talking about sexism and we will be referring to sexual assault in this segment. Um, we're going to have helplines um, at the end to share just in case anybody is triggered by it or affected by what we talk about. But 
We really, really believe that this is something for every woman and girl out there because every single one of us will experience sexism and misogyny in our lives at some point from the school playground onwards. It can be verbal, it can be physical, it can be on the street, it can be in our place of work. It can be a seemingly harmless joke or it could be sexual assault. But the aim is always to belittle us, make us feel inadequate and vulnerable. And it's always about power and aggression towards women. Most importantly, though, none of it is acceptable and all of it is damaging. And we shouldn't tolerate it at any level. We need to challenge it and stand up to it. Um, And of course, when I say we, I mean men as well, of course, in this conversation. Yes, absolutely. So what we're going to be doing here really is saying how you can talk to your daughters and your sons, how you can talk to other women in your life, just giving you a bit of guidance because it keeps coming up with subjects. I mean, these stories that are in the media, as we mentioned before, Daisy Goodwin, um, they just don't seem to go away. And I, I guess all the micro aggressions we've been through in our lives, we might be holding that inside. So it'd be good to know how we can re- get our daughters to respond to it because we don't want them holding that. I mean, I've been flushed out on trains and tubes. I've had my hair pulled on a run. I've had my feet slapped in a swimming pool. I've had a man on a train masturbating in front of me. I've been lunged at in cabs. I mean, the list goes on. I'm sure if we asked a lot of women, and, and that's, you know, we're not demonizing men here. We're just saying, how do we deal with the patriarchal society and a society which really, um, from schools, seems to enable that? How do we help our daughters? Now, we were chatting about it, weren't we? And then we noticed on Facebook uh, recently that one of our members uh, said, I want to share an experience that's been troubling me for the last two days. A friend and I went to a gig earlier this week, and before the band came on, we both separately became aware of a man literally standing, staring at my friend. She's very attractive and has always had male attention, but this man was blatantly stood staring in an aggressive and unnerving way, and it was intimidating. We moved away and lost him, and the rest of the night was great. The next day, another friend in her 40s, who was also there, told me that she was groped in the crowd by a man, and she left early because she was so upset. I'm going to write to the venue and let them know, as I want them to be aware that women can be vulnerable at these events, especially in crowds where predators can hide and take advantage of being in very close proximity to women. I usually go to gigs with my husband, never had issues like this before, but I'm wondering if that's because I'm usually with a man. I'm not sure why I'm posting, I just feel the need to share my disappointment this sort of behaviour is still so widespread. Well, thank you for sharing that. We really do appreciate it. And the thing is, it's never not shocking when it happens, whatever age you are. But as we grow older, we often think we've kind of put the worst of it behind us, really, don't we? But not so. Some of the other gobsmacking experiences that were then posted on this thread demonstrate. So one member said, it was when I was in my 50s walking along the street in London with my mother and a man walking past quickly and deliberately grabbed one of my breasts and squeezed it hard. I was so shocked, as was my mother. It happened so quickly, it was painful, and I felt totally violated Nothing in my teens, 20s, etc. had ever upset me as much as that did. I don't think age is necessarily protection against those men who have bad intent. Yes, and it's it's really worrying because, well, we know this is a pattern of behaviour from men who do this and it's enabled by an acceptance of things, I believe, like catcalling and whistling at women in the street. You know, we all know um, that Wayne Cousins was a flasher before he became a murderer. So, yeah. you know, we, and if you follow anything that Laura Bates writes around everyday sexism, the, the Everyday Sexism Project, 
she will say, fix the system, not the women. That's the title of her new book. And I really feel that, you know, we, we, we can't keep putting up with it. So we do need to have some armory, some weaponry yeah. around us to know what to do. We had another post, didn't we? I, from, from someone else on our Facebook. Uh, I had a similar situation coming back from dinner. I was going up the escalator and moved to hold my skirt as I felt someone coming too close to me. A man in his late 50s said, I just want to pull your hair and give it a good old tug. The trouble is, you know, we are often in a state of shock and belief when these things happen. And it, you know, it makes it our responsibility to respond, which is, you know, which is really quite traumatizing, I think, for women. And it's only afterwards that we think about what we might have liked to say or do in those situations. Now, you have been talking to Tony Summers Hargis, haven't you, who's written a book about this called How to Stand Up to Sexism. So Tony was inspired to write the book really around the time of the Me Too movement when she realized that all the stuff she had encountered, like we all did growing up as part of Gen X, and her experiences in her career before she became a writer. I mean, some really shocking things like in one job, she was deemed unprofessional and difficult for pointing out that the promotion criteria for women seemed entirely different to that of men. There's so many experiences. So she kind of felt that the time was right to write this book. And the book outlines the verbal and physical types of sexism women and girls experience. And in different settings, whether that's at work, on the street, in public places, especially like bars and cafes. And she's got some really helpful ways to respond, which I'll kind of go into in a minute. Great. Well, we should also say, shouldn't we, the starting point here, it is never the woman's fault. It's not what she's wearing. It's not how she's walking. It's not how late she's out at night. It's not the route she took. It's not your fault and it's not your responsibility to avoid or prevent sexism misogyny or sexual abuse, nor should we be changing our behaviours uh, or character as a result of this. You are never to blame for other people's inappropriate behaviour. And I would also add for, for the women, and, and, and obviously I've talked to a lot of women in my career as journalists, as you have, Trish, who say this has never happened to me, then it's your responsibility to listen to the women to whom it has, because the volume of women in the voice is very, very loud. Now, as Tony says, part of the problem is the girls are brought up to believe they should always be nice and kind. And we don't want to be rude. I mean, when the man was masturbating in front of me in the train, first class, I just moved because I didn't want to cause a scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah. was causing the scene, but I moved. I was 21, I think, at the time. And I thought, I'll just remove myself from this situation. Really, I should have reported that. So, um, you know, we, we're just taught, aren't we, that we've got to not cause trouble. We don't want to be rude. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to complain and call it out. But we should, shouldn't we, Trish? Yes, we should. And I think that's the starting point for Tony. She says that really we have to have a mindset shift. Um, you know, we have to replace our need to be liked with a desire to be respected. That's the kind of starting point that we need to come from. And her book is really about aiming you to help uh, identify your boundaries so you can recognize when they've been crossed and what to do about it. So, um, because if we don't, sexism will continue. So it's better not to ignore it, but to address it. And what you're trying to do in the moment is shut down sexist behavior. You're not going to get engaged with the person. You're not going to debate it. You're not going to change someone's mind if they're doing this. You just want to stop their behavior. And that will gradually kind of, you know, spread out and do the job that you need. So you always talk about the behavior, not the person. And she's very clear on like you have to use appropriate words. Don't tiptoe around the situation. So be be sort of blatant. You say that comment is rude. It's offensive. It's inappropriate. And don't ever say, oh, please, would you mind if you didn't? Or, you know, this is just my opinion. But don't couch your language. Just be direct uh, with what you're going to say. 
it's really about the context. So the situation you find yourself in, because some responses are going to be appropriate in, in some situations and others are not. So first, your first question is, am I safe? Am I safe to actually confront this person? Was it a blatant dig? Was it just a misunderstanding? Um, and just kind of try and think about the situation and how well you know the person who is being sexist. And how you respond really depends on that. I think so. And also the other point is we should call it out if we see it. I sat next yes. to a really young girl on the tube the other day and the boys opposite. There was a group of boys being quite leery to her. Um, she looked amazing, but she was wearing what she wanted to wear, obviously. And I just sat next to her and said, are you okay here? Yeah. And it stopped it immediately. Literally stopped it immediately. They just got up and wandered off. But I think, you know, I'm not demonizing the boys. I'm just saying she was, she was clearly uncomfortable with the situation. You know, sexism is often dealing with unwanted attention or comments, uh, and it kind of makes us feel demeaned, objectified, sexualized, and also less than, worth less than. You know, it's about our appearance. I've also had women saying, it's never happened to me. I, I must have been ugly. What a terrible thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> no. you know, we know that this kind of behavior is about power. It's not about sex, really. Um, and that's the problem at the root of this. The patriarchal problem is the power control that we don't have. What does Tony say for these kind of examples, you know, when you're getting unwanted attention around what you're, you're looking like, etc.? Yeah, I think you can say things like, did you mean to say that? I don't want you to talk about my appearance. You know, quite often they'll start talking about their sort of sexual prowess or they, they might talk about their sex lives or what they got up to, especially in a workplace situation or what they did last night. And you just you want to say, I don't want to hear about that. Let's talk about something else. You know, whatever you're trying to achieve here, you're failing. All I want is not to be spoken to or treated like this, you know. So there's a, she has so many examples, you know, and particularly fits in a workplace. And a lot of these things yeah. happen in the workplace, don't they? She'll sort of suggest saying, uh, let's go and you can say that in front of HR. Good one. Or by the way, I'm taking notes. And also it doesn't matter what you meant. And that's the law, by the way. Yes. Because that's interesting, isn't it? About the law. Well, we need to know about the law, don't we? Because she's talking about employment law here. And yeah. you know, it's really helpful to know what the law is and where you stand. For example, employers have a responsibility to their staff to deal with discrimination. So whether that's your daughter being groped wherever she's working by, by anyone or a colleague saying inappropriate things, your employer is required to take the allegations seriously and to act on it and to report back to you, actually. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, I was kind of slightly ashamed of myself when I read in the book yeah. the definition of sexual assault in law, because I just realized, actually, I didn't know it. And I think we all should know, it, which is why Tony's put it in the book. And the definition is, sexual assault is when a person is coerced or physically forced to engage against their will, or when a person, male or female, touches another person sexually without their consent. Touching can be done with any part of the body or with an object, and this can be through clothing. And interestingly, too much alcohol, this is moving mm. away from the definition now, but too much alcohol is not a defence. You often read about, oh, well, he was drunk, you know, yeah. men using that. That is not a defence in a court of law. So, you know, men need to be very, very clear about that. So yeah. we've been talking about the fact that hospitality industry, you've got so many people, young people working in it, haven't you, over the summer, and they're bound to be experiences with these young girls. Yeah. So, I mean, if that happens to your your daughter or your son during the summer and they're working because everyone's trying to earn their summer money for their trips before back to uni, then they need to be very aware <laughs> of the definition of sexual assault and um, what, you know, being drunk as a customer cannot be 
an excuse. Yeah, exactly. And I just, sorry, wanted to add there that that would include unwanted hugging, shoulder massages, you know, some guy oh just comes gosh, up behind that, you. Yeah, oh, and that. then touching your leg or if they keep brushing up against you at work. All of those things count. So know it and know that you're within the law to complain about it. It's often the kind of thing women shrug off because they're afraid of how the person will react. Often there's a real power imbalance. It might be someone in charge that's going to affect your career. And also they're afraid of the backlash and, and embarrassed to, to admit this out loud in front of the uh, colleagues, you know, and you might deflect it or say it's a joke or it's not right. You might be made to feel that it's your fault this has happened and your tone, your lightheartedness is your fault and they felt empowered to do it again. That's not right. No, exactly. So I think, as I said before, how you respond it depends on the context of the situation you find yourself in, where it happens, who it is. Is it verbal? Is it physical? But generally speaking, men will pick on women in situations where they think they're going to get away with it. Exactly. Um, um, you know, it's all a power grab um, to make you feel demeaned. And, you know, if you're worried about a backlash and calling you names, that kind of thing, you just have to be firm and say something like, I'm still asking you to stop saying that or doing that and just don't engage with it, but just call it out in that way. Uh, if we see a woman going through that, we need to back up around her and stand with yeah. them too. We need to say, we're watching, we're filming, we're taking notes, or it could be a meeting and you can stop a man interrupting. Yes, you, know, yeah, you, you really can voice yeah. it, um, I think, out loud. And I think it then changes the culture. It changes the mind shift around you where you're working as well, which I think is really important because often it is quite rare for a man to step up and step in. Ideally, in that situation, you'd want another man to say, uh, I'm not comfortable with you talking to her like that. Yes, yeah, exactly. So and um, that's just a kind of a bit of a whistle-stop tour of, of the book. Obviously, there's so much information um, in it that's really helpful and just kind of little light bulb moments that go off and um, for you. You think, oh gosh, yes, that's how I could deal with it. But um, obviously, we're not talking about solving the problem of sexism. Not on this with podcast, this book. no. It's a huge societal shift that's needed for that. There's work to be done about educating boys and men, reshaping masculinity. And there are yes. some kind of quite interesting groups out there. There's one called beyondequality.org, which is all uh, about rethinking masculinity, brave conversations about what being a man means today. And there's programs that the National Education Union have on working with boys and young men to prevent sexism and sexual harassment because it just starts so young. It's normalized from such a young age. It does. And the patriarchy doesn't really serve young boys either. It's, it puts an enormous pressure on yes. them to be a certain yeah. way. And I, I think it's really, really difficult to be a teenage boy at the moment, actually. And I have great sympathy for the learning curve the whole of the male men are on at the moment. Um, but it's also worth pointing out that for many women, sexism can be coupled with other forms of discrimination so that women of colour, trans women, physical or mental health issues, sexual orientation. This brings up further complexities to their experience. Um, and we do want to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. So if you've been affected by any of the content we've discussed, you can get support from there's a great women's charity called saras.org, S-A-R-S.org.uk. Also Rape Crisis. And actually, if you go onto the Everyday Sexism Project website, um, Laura Bates's project, which you mentioned earlier, Lorraine, there's a really helpful page with a huge list of organisations that can deal with every aspect of misogyny and violence against women, whether it's rape, whether it's sexual assault, whether it's domestic violence. So that is a really helpful place 
to look. And you can find out more about Tony's work and her book at TonySummersHargis.com. And we do, in fact, have a copy to give away. So we'll be posting details of that over on our Facebook group shortly. My little intro to Nostalgia Noodle, just pointing out as an aside that today we are wearing almost exactly the same blouse. (laughs) Yes. Which is so bizarre because last week we wore the same stripes. I don't even speak to you beforehand, no, do I? And no. the weirdest thing is, it's like some, what would Tree Car say? It's our astral plane interjection. Oh, I think she would. But it's a ditzy floral blouse that we're wearing. It's a ditzy floral. Now, I'm bringing you for Nostalgia Noodle today. Yes. An unusual aspect of lockdown. Hair lunacy. So okay. let me tell you what's happened. One of the one of the things that appears to happen during lockdown is because we didn't have to go to work, people started to experiment with their hair, Trish, and their haircuts, and they could grow it and they could do all sorts of things. And one of the things that's grown out of it for men is a flashback, throwback, yes, to the mullets. Mullets, yes. It's back. Also, you know, add in Billy Stranger Things as well. I am uh, recording this on holiday, as you can imagine, and there are thousands of teenage boys on the beach with this god-awful <laughs> mullet haircut. I mean, it's not even a... It's not a Paul oh, Mescal tiny mullet. No. Does he have one? Doesn't he have one? This is a full-on, proper 1970s, 80s mullet. Yes. It's unbelievable, and I think it should be banned. So I was Googling it. Um, it's a TikTok thing. But guess what's happening, Trish? Can you imagine Kit and Neil doing this? Dads are going in with their sons and having the mullet cut. Who's <laughs> for the price of one on the mullets? It's terrible ruffians, yeah. which is the very cool um, London barbers, said they have done more mullets now in the last two months than ever in the history of hair cutting. That is quite something, isn't it? But I, th- I wonder if they've got pictures up. You know, like how you go in and you choose the picture of what you want. Do you remember Andre Agassi's mullet? That was a big one. Pat Sharp's mullet. Pat Sharp? Well, I think Pat Sharp's the kind of, that's the one they're all aiming for, isn't it? That's the thing. Yes, the pinnacle of the mullets. And um, Lamal from Kajakuku. Do you remember him? He had a spiky mullet. Spiky mullets? We're getting, yeah, we're getting a bit of a spiky, but also a a curly mullet. And it's a slightly shaved side. Yeah. I'm worried that these boys are having perms as well, because I need to talk to them about that, for God's sake, because we know where perms in your youth ends, don't we? Do perms still exist? Do people have perms? Yeah, you can have a a thing, can't you? A wash that encourages the curliness. Okay, but there's no sort of sitting there with the rollers and putting the lotion on and the stink of the stuff making your hair go mad. I don't think so. I think it's more of a gentle thing that's washed okay. through. <laughs> okay. Perms and mullets. There we are. Very nostalgic. Well, we've come to the end of the end, Trish, before we go off and I'll be lonely without you and your alter ego, Marion, oh. for the summer. But thank you. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We are so grateful uh, for you listening to us. Do subscribe uh, to the podcast um, so that it, the new season drops automatically into your inbox very easy to do and we would absolutely adore it if you could leave us a little message telling us uh, a review wherever you get your podcast give us a five star review we love a five star review Um, and we will see you next season yes we'll see you in September refreshed with more chat jibber jabber how to wins and amazing guests 
Bye. Goodbye.